Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes John Harrington. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, the podcast that sheds new light on the world of music. That means that we peel back the obvious and let you see music from the inside out. I'm Eddie Cabello. And I'm Rick Such. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside Music Cast. As Eddie mentioned, Inside Music Cast will take you inside the mind of the musician and allow you to get a special, up-close glimpse of the music-making process. So if you're a fan or even a musician, this is where you want to be. That's right. This is the podcast that takes you beyond the stage and into the studio and features the people that make music happen. So if you're ready, let's get started. John Harrington is a guitarist at Peace. But at an arm's length, anyone will tell you that he has one of the music industry's most coveted gigs, a gig that has long been a magnet to critical criticism or critical acclaim for one of music's most creative groups, Steely Dan. At a conversational distance, you'll discover that not only has John executed the most complex guitar parts for Donald Fagan and Walter Becker over the past eight years, but has found creative balance as a musician, producer, and writer that subscribes to the same standards of musicianship as the Dan. Listen closely to his personal work, and you'll be mildly surprised to find that John Harrington approaches his music like that of a qualified artist, both lyrically and musically. So sit back and listen to our guest expound on his musical roots, as well as his musical theories and perspectives. Inside Music Cast welcomes John Harrington. Hey John, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Joining us on Skype, actually. It's our first Skype adventure. So. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I wanted to start off real quickly by chatting a little about you know, your development as a musician, you know, of course, you're a successful guitarist now, but but was the guitar the initial instrument that you studied or like most kids starting off in a school music program, did you play something else, you know, initially? Well, I, I started out uh, as a kid. Uh, my parents gave me piano lessons. So that was my first real mm-hmm. exposure to playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older brother had played and uh, they thought I should follow in his footsteps. And, uh, I did play for about a year or so, and 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 I wasn't real. I wasn't really a very disciplined practicer, and didn't really. I, I kind of lost interest in it. Um, and but somehow, I uh, there was always music around the house. I always listened a lot, and uh, and then uh, in school I got into a, a program playing saxophone. Huh. I don't know, maybe in fifth grade or something like that. So I played saxophone uh, right through like my first year of college, uh, mm-hmm. but. Also, not very well, not very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I picked up the guitar. Um, I think it was around eighth grade or so, and um, I had fallen in love with uh, pop music uh, years before that, um, with you know, Beatle music and right. you know, basically New York City radio. Mm-hmm. I was a huge radio fan, and mm-hmm. uh, I started playing guitar. I think it was I think it was about eighth grade, and and that really sort of captured my imagination much more than the other two instruments had. Although I really didn't, I, I didn't become much of a practicer at that. And I never took uh, any lessons at that time. I, I basically just dropped the needle on records and <laughs> tried to figure out what, yeah. you know, what was going on. Right. And uh, I, I actually did that on piano and saxophone too. But uh, any, basically my, my passion was to sort of figure out what, made music tick more than it was to learn how to play it well. Right. I mean, once I sort of knew what it was, whether I could play it well or not didn't matter as much as just 
having figured that out. And then I was on to something else I didn't need to figure. Like, you know, I had to crack the code, sort of. You know, yeah. right. so it was. It was actually it was in hindsight it was fabulous ear training, and uh, yeah, and it really, uh, you know, it, it. I think it served me well ultimately, but it wasn't until I got out of out of high school and uh, and went to the bigger world of you know, college where I met. I met a good friend of mine, uh, still still a friend of mine, uh, a saxophone player named Stan Harrison, who uh, who I met in the courtyard of of our dormitory in New Brunswick at Rutgers College, and uh, he found out that uh, I played saxophone, and he told me he was a saxophone player. So we agreed to get our horns out, and we we took them outside in the courtyard to start playing, and and I was so embarrassed, like. <laughs> Shocked by how how well he could play because he had been like one of these disciplined kids, really learned to play the horn. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I just sort of, I just tried <laughs> to figure out like how can I play a, a you know like a solo in this Rolling Stones tune that we were playing in the <laughs> bar. You know, and, uh, so uh, I think it was right then that I decided, you know, I, I realized I played piano, saxophone, and guitar uh, equally poorly, and it was time to get serious about an instrument. And and uh, it, guitar was the obvious choice, mostly because it was, uh, you know, a key instrument in all the music I loved. So, uh, and and you could sing when you when you play guitar. So I like that too. You yeah. know, the saxophone seemed like a problem. That was, and the piano wasn't. I couldn't put a piano in my dorm room. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> well, guitar was the obvious choice, and and I got serious about that and started to study, you know, in, in a real yeah. way. Well, to your point about uh, learning how to play the instruments by by ear, which was you sort of said you know a little gift is. Do you feel that there's a you said that's a sort of an advantage uh, as opposed to somebody studying music formally and never really you know having the chance to learn by ear? I mean, what 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 kind of small advantages does that give you? A person that can pick up stuff and, and play it by ear. You follow me? Well, yeah, I do follow you. I'm not sure that it's that it's necessarily an advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that depends on two things, the, the quality of your training and also the, the type of musician that you are. Because I really think every great musician is going to have a very active uh, listening life, you know, in terms of uh, learning how to use his ear well. I mean, most of the people who become great musicians have a, have a, a talent, and uh, it, it really has to do with their ability to, to really listen well, I think. And uh, I, I'm not sure that that I'd recommend the path that I took uh, over you know, a more studied path, you know, because if I had a great guitar teacher uh, at, at the right age, and if I were able to even accept the idea of having a guitar teacher, which I don't know that I would have at that time, yeah, right. uh, you know, but if it were a great one and I were willing, I think I, I, I probably would have made much faster progress hmm. and I probably would have saw, you know, had fewer technical problems in the long run and, you know, just, it gotten where I wanted to, to get eventually uh, much sooner, but you know everybody's different, and sure. I don't know that one's better than the other. But for me, because really I didn't care so much about the performance of it as much as I cared about, uh, like I said, just sort of knowing what made yeah, it tick. Right. Um, sure. That I mean, but that's but that's my particular personal bias. It still kind of is, even though I, I mean now I've, I've I've come to love performing, and I even in high school I learned to love performing, and I. I got fussier about it as I've gotten older, and I'm very fussy about it. But, uh-huh. but I still think I'm, I'm that way because it's the personality type uh, of uh, for me in, in terms of my, the things I love are arranging, or, you know, songwriting. Um, I just love the design of the whole thing. Right. I'm just I'm less like guitar. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a lot of guitar players who who only love guitar music, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
and I, I I love the instrument, and it's a it's a fantastic instrument. It's one of the most unusual instruments in that everybody who plays it seems to find a different way to sound. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's more like that than any other instrument in pop music, I think. But yeah. uh, I, I'm a fan of music first, and then a guitar player second. Mm-hmm. In a way, I guess. You know. Hey, just a, a couple of minutes ago, when we asked you that initial question, you mentioned your parents and how you know they started off. Uh, you, you know, you started off playing piano. Obviously, the one that was in your home. How, how big of a musical influence were your parents? How, how supportive were they in your music career? Well, it, it's interesting. They uh, they certainly were were supportive. Um, uh, of music as as a hobby and and when they they determined I had some talent they uh they were pleased with that I'd say you know I mean mm-hmm. they they each had uh musical aspirations but never professional ones um I uh I still have some envy for uh for other uh, friends of mine who've had more supportive parents than I had my <laughs> my parents were sort of I, I would say they were sort of supportive of the idea of music as a as a hobby and as a pastime and and less supportive of music as a career choice. I mean, I can remember my father saying, uh, after it was clear to everybody else who knew me well, that, that, that I was a lifer in terms of, you know, being a guitar player and a musician. <laughs> uh, he, when he was in, don't you think you ought to, ought to take a look at the business side of music? You know? <laughs> and, of course. And I just had to shake my head and laugh. And, I, and uh, yeah, it reminds me of that, uh, what is it, Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson quote about the music business. Right. <laughs> um, but uh no i i couldn't go there of course and yeah and i think for my mother she she was sort of uh unfortunately she desi- she died before she could see a uh my name in in print in the new york times in a review which which was for her like the proof of a musician's success <laughs> <laughs> invalidated you huh? <laughs> but, uh, but you know it, it, but I, I i got there so i that's cool um, like to think she would have been too. <laughs> I'm sure she would have. Hey, listen, you grew up in New Jersey on on the coast, actually, right? And uh, in the early years, uh, you had a band. It's called the Highway. Tell us about that first band, and you know how many guys did you guys do original music? What kind of a of a group? You guys did you? really did your research. <laughs> uh, we sort of try to dig into everything, so go for it. <laughs> well, that, was, that, that was basically uh, our high school uh, uh, band phenomenon, and. There were there were four or five guys. A couple couple band members changed over the course of the years. It was together, but but essentially it was uh, it, we were playing uh, quite a few covers, and then and I, I had begun to write songs, and mm-hmm. the bass player had written a few songs, and we uh, kind of combined that stuff. You know, we, we played a few of our originals, and we played uh, quite a few covers. I guess we were doing stuff like uh, it was the era where uh, there's a lot of Allman Brothers we used to play. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably played some Stones and some some Beatles, maybe. Uh, I think we actually even played some Steely Dan at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! Really? Yeah, we. I used to play a couple. Real in the years, we used to play in clubs, right. and uh, I'm not sure it was with that band, but uh, around that time, I did a lot of work in bars all through my high school years, even before I was able to drink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> did you do vocals on and in, uh, in, in the highway or not? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah. I don't know if I was, I wasn't the only lead singer. I mean, uh, we, we shared the, the vocal duties, but I did a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as a band, you guys even had a chance to open for Springsteen a few times, right? We did. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was once or twice, but we, we did. He was a local mm-hmm. guy, and, uh, there were, he was, he did lots of local gigs, and, and we would do them too. So I think, you know, every once in a while, I think there were maybe two cases where we, we, we found ourselves, uh, as the opening band for him. But mm-hmm. by then he was already doing sort of 
a solo acoustic thing. It wasn't. He wasn't playing with bands. Hmm. I remember uh, loving his uh, his bands from the first time I heard him, and uh, he actually did a high school. He played in our high school cafeteria once. And, <laughs> did he really? And it was wild. He had like <laughs> you know, hair down to the middle of his back. He had holes in his jeans, and and he had like two Marshall cabinets, like where a PA normally would be on either mm-hmm. side of the stage. You know, he had a Les Paul slung real low and. And this was the first time where high school dances uh, kind of morphed from having been actual dances to, to like feeling more like concerts, and everybody was sitting down, and like I'm sure a lot of people were stoned. Although I was, just, I, I was a That's funny. straight guy back then, and, uh, but it was it was really a turning point for everybody. And, uh, and mm-hmm. he was he was right there. He he, he was fantastic. Then. Yeah, quite quite uh, amazing even then. So, you know, after, I think you went on to uh, Rutgers University, right? I did. And uh, so after you graduated from Rutgers, you, were you able to find work uh, as a musician straight out of school? And if not, did you have to take on other kinds of, of work to make ends meet? Uh, I, I was working, while I was uh, going through college, I, I was working, I was studying studying jazz very earnestly. Um, I had sold my uh, PA system and my gold top Les Paul, and I bought a, I bought a big Johnny Smith Ethel jazz guitar, you know? uh-huh. and I was—I didn't bend a string for maybe six years or something. Like that. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was seriously into learning jazz, and uh, and I, to make ends meet, I was I was taking gigs on the weekends, playing you know weddings and bar mitzvahs, just that, that kind of thing. And uh, I continued to do a little of that when I got out of out of college, although I. At first, for a year, I moved back to my old hometown area in uh, west near near West Long Branch, New Jersey, near the shore there. Uh-huh. And uh, I got a job teaching in a in a uh, local music store down there that I, hmm. you know, that I knew well. And uh, I did that for about a year, and and it just, and and I think I must have played in bands with the old you know my old cronies back there. And uh, it didn't feel quite like it was going anywhere. And uh, my parents no longer lived in that neighborhood. They had moved. So I, I, I decided that it was time to sort of try something different. And uh, I actually saved up a little money and, and did one of those backpacking vacations uh, in Europe for a summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Months. Grabbed a guitar and just to put a backpack on and uh, and went uh, just across Europe just to check it out. And I uh, did it pretty cheaply and uh, came back um, pretty lost in terms of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. But uh I uh, I moved in first with my mom for a couple of weeks uh, at uh, in Morristown, New Jersey, where she was, and uh, trying to figure out what to do. I, I had been a a student of a guy named Harry Leahy, a fantastic uh, guitar player, jazz guitarist, right? Yeah, yeah. Plain, Plainfield jazz guitarist, and mm-hmm. uh, he uh, he was sort of my idol, and and yet it was a it, I, I I sort of saw a problem there because. He worked like like a dog, teaching like seventy students a week, and he did these little jazz trio gigs in like restaurants and bars for thirty right. bucks a night. You know, and I said, "Well, I'm not sure this is going to work," <laughs> but uh, but it was something I loved. So there there was a bit of a conflict there. Uh, I did I did move to Tenafly for a little while, just you know, just across the George Washington Bridge from Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I was beginning to get some work. Uh, I remember uh, I got I got some work uh, with a guy named Robert Kraft, uh, who was uh, now he's a he's he's a big wig in, uh, in well Fox uh, Music in in L.A. He's okay. uh, 
think for the the movie business out there, the movie studio. He's okay, got, uh, got a big job there. But at the time, he was he did, he had a band and uh, it, was, it was sort of popular. Uh, they played him on the local jazz radio station. We did gigs at uh, the Brecker Brothers Club down uh, down in the uh, West Village, and uh, it was it was a gig where it called for less of a strict jazz thing because it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of a pop jazz hybrid and. Uh, so I had to borrow a student's guitar with, you know, lighter gauge strings that right. could go that way. And uh, so I was beginning to sort of realize that, you know, I, I was going to have to, like, do something besides just play jazz guitar if I wanted to have <laughs> you know, any kind of life, that, that, you know, where I made any more money than my teacher had, you know. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> you mentioned Harry uh, Leahy, and uh, he, he actually played guitar for Jerry Mulligan, you know. I mean, he was pretty tight into And, the, and for Phil the, Woods. He was in Phil yeah. Woods' band for quite a while. Um, but he was he was at his best to me, uh, either playing solo guitar or, or particularly with his trio. He, Interesting. He was un- an unbelievable uh, guitar, but he knew the guitar better than anybody I've ever met. He had studied with Johnny Smith and with... Uh, Another teacher that I ultimately studied with for several years, uh, Dennis Santoli, who's yeah. a Philadelphia-based teacher, and uh, Harry just played the guitar as if it were a piano, and, and that wow. was an eye-opener to me. He uh, he played he, he didn't just play like chord shapes, you know, or, or he didn't just know patterns for chords. He, he would he would choose the notes that he wanted to play, and uh, mm-hmm. and they would each move the way you know he wanted them to from one note to the next, and it, it was a very very different way to think of the guitar and and he uh he really opened my mind up uh mm-hmm. over several years of study with him it was really fantastic and he was such a he's such a an open guy i mean i remember uh my first jazz guitar teaching exp- well learning experience with a teacher was was with a guy named ted dunbar who was uh an instructor at rutgers at the time mm-hmm. um and i'd taken his jazz guitar class or something and uh i remember he was showing the class some sort of stuff that he had worked out that he thought was really hip. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he would like, he would turn his back so he couldn't see it, you know? Yeah. And then he'd say, check this out. And he'd turn around so he couldn't see it. And he'd play this really cool sounding, like a bunch of chords. And, and we'd all want to know what it was, but he wasn't telling. Because you know? this, <laughs> this was sort of his proprietary stuff. You right. Know? And like, the and so, the stuff uh, he couldn't teach you. <laughs> well, it was, it was like, What's that about? I think he kind of raised my eyebrows. I don't know about this guy, and but, but he was a great player, and he and he, he really like he, he opened me up to a lot of music. But I'll tell you, the best thing he did for me was at the end of uh, end of our class, uh, yeah. I asked him if he gave private lessons because I I wanted to study more seriously and uh, needed a teacher. Yeah. And he said, well, he didn't do that, but he had a number that I could try. This guy took students. His name was Harry Leahy. And, uh-huh. uh, the nicest thing he ever did for me because wow. when Harry would, would show me something, I mean, he was just, he couldn't give me enough. I mean, he, he just was, he was such a sharing kind of guy. And we, you know, he had like a line of the next three students out, out in the waiting room because our lesson had gone over so much. And because uh, he was just having a ball, and we, were just, <laughs> we, we just clearly loved, right? You know, learned the, the kind of thing that he was working on with me. It was just so much fun. And, uh, so a lot of the jazz based type of uh, instruction that you received from Harry, how does that tie into the, I mean, roll over that into the music that you're doing now? I mean, it's all relative. It's, it's all tied in together. How does it affect one another? I, I suppose the most obvious way that it's served me, even though I, I don't really think of myself as a jazz player so much. Yeah, uh, right. I, uh, you know, I, I, um, I definitely spent a lot of time studying it and, and 
wanting to be a jazz player. And, and but my my work scene kind of changed at, at at that point, and uh, I realized my early training, you know, just of dropping the needle on the records and learning, you know, blues and rock and uh, all, all all the pop music I had studied um, was really stuff I still enjoyed playing, wanted to play, and and also served me very well if I wanted to work. So I'd say basically, like I said, the most obvious way that that the jazz training has helped me is that it's it's kind of opened my ears to you know so much information harmonically uh, that I'm not usually thrown by mm-hmm. uh, you know new music that uh, you know, I mean when I'm when it, you know, I'm trying to learn something or trying to learn how to how, how do you solo on uh, like a, a Steely Dan tune or something. I right. mean, uh, even though like in Steely Dan, it, it, the guitar sounds are all really like rock, blues, pop guitar sounds. Mm-hmm. Seldom are they jazz guitar sounds, really, mm-hmm. um, in a traditional sense. That, you know, you never hear a guitar like Wes Montgomery tone on there. Uh, it's really a much more pop sensibility. Uh, but the, the music... I think somebody who doesn't have jazz training would would pretty much be at sea trying to play on uh, on a lot of that music. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. It really uh, it, it's it's not exactly simple stuff. I mean, it's deceptive. It's it may sound simple, but when you when you start you know, oh, yeah. getting into the music and realizing what's going on, there, there's quite a lot of uh, mm-hmm. harmony that comes from the jazz world, and uh, and you really need to have a, a foundation in jazz harmony to to effectively negotiate those changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it really serves me there. Um, but in general, I think it gave me a kind of musical confidence, uh, which I didn't have at all. Like, like I said, when I, in my first year at, at Rutgers, um, I just felt like, Oh my God, it's a big world out here. I don't know yeah. anything. You know, there's like so many, I met so many people who really could play. And then when I, I started dabbling in the jazz world, I realized I can't play this instrument at all. And like, I just so much I don't know. And, and Harry gave me years upon years of stuff to work on that, that I never got through. And, and, uh, you know, I just, you know, it was a very humbling experience, but, but ultimately it was, it was what prepared me and made me a confident playwright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing that there had to be a gig along your career path where when you were hired, you thought to yourself, I've made it, yeah. you know, who, who was that gig for? And, and was it Steely Dan or was it something prior to working with the Dan? Well, I'm not sure I really had one of those aha moments like like that, but uh, you know, it's so much about uh, the challenge of uh, a career in music is so much about like continuing to make it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, right. and really we're talking about money. I mean, like yeah. right. uh, it's it's one thing to uh, to find musical satisfaction, and, and I find when I'm this is most I think this is mostly true for people when you're younger, you, you're not thinking at all about the money. You're you're only thinking about the music, mm-hmm. and as as you know, life's change, lives change as you get older, uh, your priorities shift a little. And of course it's, it's still very important and it to, for me, it's a, it's an amazing gift that I, that I can get satisfaction out of my work. Cause I know most people don't. And uh, yeah. that in itself is an achievement, but, uh, but the, the challenge is to continue to, to, you know, to sort of sure be vital enough so, and, exactly. and be professional enough so that you know, your work, uh, doesn't slow down because yeah, every freelancer. Essentially, I'm a freelancer. I can't I can't make a living just off of right, yeah. with Dan, for instance. Even right. it's, it's a great gig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't work enough for, to support me. And uh, uh, I'll quote my my an old friend Jimmy Ponder, a great guitar player, who said when I asked him what he was doing playing in this uh, little dump in Newark, uh, sounding great by the way. 
I, I, he said, I got three kids and they like to eat every day. <laughs> End conversation. You know? I love that one. That. <laughs> That's cool. My daughter likes to eat every day. She doesn't yeah. eat that much, but uh, you know, I, it's nice to have you know, work. As a freelancer, you know, yeah, you, you gotta just do. the phone keeps ringing, and so right. uh, and you're never quite sure of that. So. Sure. <laughs> Well, you've, you've definitely fallen into a very special and, as uh, most people know, this very coveted gig, just participating with Steely Dan. And, uh, but uh, tell us a little bit about uh, just uh, you know, how you came to develop a relationship with uh, Donald and, and Walter. How, how did you guys uh, first contact when you, before you started playing for him? Uh, I, I got that, uh, the first call from Walter uh, through a recommendation um, by my piano playing friend, Ted Baker. Uh, Ted and I had worked together or several years, I think, at that time. And uh, he had he found himself, I'm not sure, I think he probably got in in, uh, in with the band through Tom Barney, who's, who I had also played with and known for years. Mm-hmm. And, uh-huh. um, and I think they had come to a point in the recording of Two Against Nature, uh, I guess they, they were just ready to hunt for somebody else on guitar. Uh, Walter had played quite a lot on it, and uh, I know they had... They had uh, I think Hugh McCracken had played some on it, and Dean Parks had played some on it. Right. And, uh, yeah. But they were they were pretty much finishing up. But there were a few other things that they wanted to try, and uh, so they called me in to play. Uh, I think Janie Runaway was the first tune, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know uh, I, was, I was thrilled and and went in and, and played the first session, and uh, they seemed uh, really easy and great to work for. We, we played for maybe four or five hours uh, on the same single song um which is not unlike them at all and and didn't disturb me <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'm a i'm a fussy guy too about that sort of thing and uh i wasn't quite sure always what they were after but uh we uh we spent a lot of time and uh and they seemed uh happy with it and uh sent me home with the promise uh, that they'd call in about a week you know and cool. so uh yeah. i about a week later i the phone wasn't ringing and uh I said, I wonder what's going on, but uh, I didn't. I didn't call anybody. So another week passed. I was starting to do the emotional roller coaster ride, you know. Right. Another week passed. Another week passed. About five weeks later, <laughs> he finally called back, and uh, and I had given up hope, of course, and just you know, just, I had I had written it off. Say, okay, well, I guess I'll never never do that gig. And uh, and they, and then Walter called me back, and he said, well, you know that you know that tune you came in and played on. I said, I said, yeah. And then he says, well. We didn't use any of it. <laughs> Are you serious? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. No, we didn't use any of it. That's funny. But we want you to come in uh, this week and play on some other things. <laughs> so, no, so, in other words, would you lay down for Janie Runaway? That no, nothing really went down. I don't think. I don't think I'm on that track. Well, see, I was going to ask you that question. Did you Did you play all the guitar parts? Did Walter play it, or what actually went down? That's interesting. Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think. Uh, I don't think my track survived on that one. I, I'm on. <laughs> I think maybe four tracks. I'm not sure which ones anymore, but. Yeah. I think I'm on maybe four tracks on that record, but it's not the first one we played. I think yeah. it was yeah. I'm not sure, but but uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. But but they called me back uh, several times after that, and I and I ended up like I said on about four tracks on that uh, on that record, and uh, those were all overdubs, and the rhythm section had been done long before, I think. And uh, you know there was there was no featured role on that record at all, but uh, but it was I was happy to to be involved and uh, it was a good time to get on board because during one of the sessions uh, they sounded me out about whether I'd uh, be interested in doing any touring with them because they were looking for a 
you know, guitar player for the next tour they were playing. So uh, I, of course, told them I'd be thrilled, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> no, it was a great project. Uh, had Cousin Dupree and a bunch of other neat tracks in the whole thing. That was uh, yeah. very uh, interesting. You know, it's funny about Steely Dan, you know, uh, albums. It's almost as if, you know, there's a hiatus between them, and then every time the, you know, there's news that another Steely Dan album is going to come out, you know, the the expectation is always like, well, I wonder if they could top this. And right. which leads to my my question is, you know, you, you must understand where they're going with their music. I mean, what what was it about uh, John Harrington that the these guys say, hey, let's call them back. I like what they have their feel. I mean, you have to have something between you that maybe some other guitarists might have not provided, correct? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, they keep calling me back, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic gig to have. I, I, I love both both the guys. Their, their work is amazing. They're they're serious workers. They're, they're some of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life, some of the smartest guys and best red guys I've ever met. And... Uh, Obviously, they care quite a lot about you know, a musician's abilities. Uh, it has to be the right fit musically, no question about it. Um, but I think they're also probably after some, some kind of you know personal fit that, that works. I mean, on the road, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, you see the same faces every day. It's nice to, to have confidence that that these are people that you can stand to see every day. You know, and, yeah, and yeah. Um, I think. People sometimes get called back, uh, you know, when they find people who have the right combination of, uh, you know, the musical goods and also, you know, their personalities are, are a good fit. Then, then I think uh, they 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 get called again. Uh, right. You know, that that's often a tricky thing to uh, to guess. You know, when you when you meet somebody, I don't think you know right away. It, it takes a little time for. You know, yeah. For, declare themselves sure. <laughs> so uh I, I don't really know what they're after musically or where they're headed i i uh i i know their music uh pretty well now especially after having worked worked with them for sure some eight years now yeah, exactly know? but uh but you know they're, they're the new records always have surprises and uh and you know, sometimes I'm scratching my head saying, well, I wonder where this one's headed you know, <laughs> play the track and 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 it seems a little odd and unusual and and we're not hearing a vocal because they haven't put that down yeah, yet. Right. Or they have sure. the writing of it, and and I think a lot of us will walk out of you know, sessions wondering, like, well, I don't know what that's going to end up like. But mm -hmm. that was probably true for all their music, and, and yeah. I mean, so much of their music is you know is uh, adventurous and unusual at, at first, you know, and, and uh, you know, well, once you hear the record, when they finish, the, the, all that craft goes into it, and uh, you know, all the stuff gets added, the lyrics get get fleshed out and stuff gets recorded and mixed so beautifully and you know it's got I mean it's just vintage Steely Dan when they're done and it's, mm -hmm. yeah. it's nothing quite like it because sure. they they have this certain sensibility that just it's on all those things well you know when you started uh, out learning all the charts to many of those classic Steely Dan songs did uh, Donald and, and Walter uh, want you to stick close to the roots of those parts you perform or were they open to your interpretation hmm. uh, I, I'd have to say that in the in the entire maybe uh, eight years I've worked with them, it's I, I think I maybe only got one instruction from from Donald one time about like playing a particular part, you know, mm -hmm. and and that was almost apologetically delivered. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it was amazing. I mean, it, it's nothing but wide open and and free. And and That's great. I, I when I first did the gig, I decided like I had a choice. I could either 
try to second guess what they would like to hear, or I could try to trust my instincts. And you know, I, I realized that if I had tried to guess what they want, because they're not they're not always very communicative. I think they want to be able to to trust their musicians, let them basically take care of business, and you know that makes their life easier and it feels better for everybody if you can do that. But because they don't tell you much all the time, um, you're left to sort of figure out you know, yeah. mm-hmm. what you got to do. And mm-hmm. uh, when, I, when I thought about it, I said, well, if I try to guess what they want and, and they don't like that, you know, then I risk losing this gig, you know, and never having tried to do it the way I want it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, you know? mm-hmm. And I said, at least if I, if I start from, trying to do it the way I hear it, the way I want to hear it played, yeah. then if they don't like that, then I know it's I'm not the right guy for them, and that's right. fine. But I wouldn't feel like, oh, no, if they only had heard what I really wanted to do. You know? right. <laughs> so, so I decided to do that from the beginning, and, and uh, you know. Just let it ride. It, it has worked for me, and, uh, you know, uh, so far so good. You know, it's, it's, uh, but there's a lot of room, and for me, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a tough decision because, you know, people know, know these guitar solos uh, and some of these guitar parts uh, as yeah. well as they know the lyrics. To these exactly, yes. Yeah. Classic. And, uh, and, you know, something that was improvised on a session ends up sounding on Stuart Ann records often like it was uh, an arranged or composed melody. Right. Because you hear it so many times. I mean, can you imagine reeling in the years without that... Uh, no doubt. It's hard to imagine it without that. Right. So, I mean, as a player, just, I mean, I got enough... Uh, of the audience in me enough I'm enough of a fan of that music so so I'll want to play that you know yeah. but then again I I don't really want the the, the experience of playing with Steely Dan to be like a cover band experience because that that kind of defies their whole conceptual approach you know that, I mean they're they're really big jazz fans they they're fans of of improvisation they know that the live thing is different from the recording. They've already done the recording. There's no need to redo that, you know. And yet, there's you know, there's a song here, and there's there's great stuff that were, was found that's on all these recordings. And so for me, it's this very delicate game of of balancing what I love about the original recordings, what feels like compositional stuff that I got to play, and then you know, uh, how do I make this a fresh, new, open-ended experience for me as a player, also? You know? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance, but it's uh, it's a great problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, John, we want some dirt. You know, when when you're out touring with Steely Dan, who's the prankster or the troublemaker in the band? Oh, <laughs> is it Freddie or Keith or, or maybe Donald Award or, or is it you? <laughs> no, we don't, we don't. You know, it's there's got to be like, one. <laughs> not like it used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, think about that. There's, uh, you know, we've got a few road guys. Uh, it's, few tech guys who are pretty good at, at uh, the pranks. Although I, I, I dare say the pranks aren't quite as, well, it's definitely not X-rated. Like <laughs> but uh, like, like uh, Skip, uh, Skip Kildersleeve, the guitar tech, uh, he often has a prank or two up his sleeve. Yeah. We found out that Walt Weisskopf had a had some kind of spider phobia, you know. He, 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 of course, rigged up something that came down from the lighting rig during the show. Like, you know, some plastic spider that got lowered on a string, you know, like in front of Walter's music stand, you know, so things like that. And, or a horse appears on stage when we're playing at the Cincinnati Zoo or something, you know, like, uh, you know fake one, really. Or a guy in a gorilla suit that, you know, some, uh, you know stuff, stuff like that. So there have been some, some pranks, but no, most of us are... are 
sadly uh, pretty serious musicians and yeah. uh, and we're getting old enough so that the road beats us up a little. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. There are fewer pranks than there probably were. <laughs> well, speaking of the road, how, how intensive are your rehearsals prior to going out on the road with Steely Dan? And, and for how long do you rehearse prior to a, a tour starting? Well, it never, it never seems like enough for me. I mean, I would benefit from a lot more, but uh, I don't know. It's, it, it varies depending on how long it's been since in between tours. Uh, it, it's... Um, depends on how many new musicians are there you know. mm-hmm. uh, but in general recently it's maybe been a week to 10 days max you know and uh, probably less the last few times because our work has has uh, been more frequent we've actually played in like I think three adjacent calendar years now mm-hmm. six seven and uh, I guess we haven't played this year yet so maybe, maybe a couple they were we did that uh, what year was that Michael McDonald uh, 2006 there? 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. Generally, they've been adver- averaging like three years, a tour every three years. So, mm-hmm. But 2006 and 2007, that's, you know, I think we needed a little less prep for the 2007 work because it was the same band and we had just done all that work with Michael McDonald. So, uh, so I think it was less that time. But Yeah, in 2006, that was a, a busy touring year for you because you also toured with uh, Donald on the Morph the Cat tour. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it was in March, I believe. Yeah calendar month of March, which mm-hmm. is fantastic to be able to do those tunes, especially the night flight tunes. Oh, yeah. There's just, there's not a not a wrong note on those things. They're just amazing records. That's sure. an amazing record. It became the sort of center center of all the, the tunes we did. I mean, we, we pretty much did everything on that record, and uh, we did some stuff from the other records, but that was that was the right. bulk of what we did, and, it, and just fantastic by those teams. just yeah. amazing oh yeah uh, did, you know speaking of that that tour in March of 2006 you know it, I'm just curious does does Donald Fagan does he take a different approach to writing and, and recording in the studio on his solo work as, as compared to what he does with Steely Dan well the, the, one of the big differences is that Donald's records seem to have kind of a often have like a, an overriding theme or a connecting kind of idea. Right, right. Record. That seems a little less the case with, with the Steely Dan records, you know. Right. That's uh, true. And he really seems to think of the whole thing as a work. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure he feels it's a different side of him in a way. Right. But, uh, but of course, you know, there's great similarity, too, to the, to the work. And, and a lot of the players are the same. You know, it's just, so, you know, the same aesthetic comes through. Yeah. On Morph the Cat, there were so many, it was almost a thematic type of uh, musical scenario, if you want to, you know, put it like that, but it had just some incredible cuts. I mean, I think uh, Security Joan, (laughs) that and uh, what's the one that says? uh, Mary uh, Shut the Garden Door. Yeah, Mary Shut the Garden Door. That one, yeah, Yeah. really really neat stuff. A lot of variety on that. Uh, Of of the different tunes, and I don't know if this is uh, really pegging your recollection a little bit, but which ones really stood out for you that were really fun to to play? I mean, it's uh, that 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 was had some really good licks, good you know, good stuff happening with with your parts that you felt like you know anticipating you know the shows. You know, I, uh, uh, well, actually, the, the Great Pagoda of Fun, that was one of those sort of jazz harmony tour de forces in a way. You know, it's like, it's got the most un- uh, unbelievable, uh, in, in a way, it's like if I were trying to teach a guitar player to learn, like, the, the basic, the quintessential jazz guitar voicings, you know, yeah. like if I wanted to teach them 
like how jazz chords worked, you know, like and what 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 they were all about. I mean, you couldn't do better than just like have them learn that song. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of wild because it's it's like the catalog of of like every great, you know, rich, perfectly voiced jazz chord, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, and the, and the tune. I mean, it's it's so wild, <laughs> and uh, and the lyric is great. It's just, so I, I always love playing that one just because it's it was such an unusual one and it's just so rich harmonically. It's right. Just, uh, uh, Mary shut the garden door is such it's such an it, something reminds me about like some like weird sort of either like sci-fi or detective <laughs> yeah. music yeah. like the, You're right. It's like a movie song that you just yeah, you have like to that. And that that I always just enjoyed the, the, the vibe of. To tell you the truth, I, I'm not I'm not able to remember much about what my part, you know, my like little parts were to yeah, play sure. or uh-huh. licks or anything like that, but but again, I think that just kind of reveals me as a guy who likes the overall music and uh, I, I definitely I don't think of, of uh, the guitar parts in these tunes as much as I think of the entire you know work or something you know? and uh, that's that's what I remember about this stuff mm-hmm. I'm going to have to learn it again if we ever do some more work which I sure hope we do but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey you know around the time this is changing subjects a little bit but around the time that you hooked up with Steely Dan you were in the process I think at that time of releasing your second solo project called Like So Yes. And uh, I've had the opportunity to listen to all those tracks, and it's, yeah, really. it's a great album. And it, I, I'd have to say, though, you know, I initially knew you from Steely Dan. That's how I, I you know, originally learned about you. Right. So my expectations for that album was was probably something on, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. kind of the funky, jazzy, blues-type side of things. And when I heard it, it, right. it I, I was a little surprised, <laughs> and I thought it was it was more of an earthy, rootsy, almost like a Warren Zevon sort of approach. Yeah, uh, I, I think – your experience is common from what I hear. Everybody, uh, I mean, a lot of people are surprised uh, that it sounds like that kind of record. And, mm-hmm. and some people can't believe it's the same person. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's probably that, that I tend to, uh, I, I mean, I'm somewhat of a purist, I guess, in terms of what I love about, about uh, any, any genre. You know, I like, uh, mm-hmm. I like my jazz to sound like jazz and, and I like my, folk to sound like folk you know i mean yeah right. although you know i gotta say most uh, some of the most amazing musics are are you know hybrids no question about it but uh i mean basically i i trust my instincts when i'm doing any kind of work and uh and for that for the for the solo record you talked about for like so i uh i had been working with uh, a couple friends of mine uh for years just playing local gigs uh and we had started out playing mostly blues and bars, and and uh, and we began to write tunes uh, ultimately, and uh, started playing gigs, just doing like a set's worth of, of our tunes, and uh, and you know I grew up on on kind of pop music like the Beatles and the Stones, and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of you know that's deep in me, and that's that's probably the most most uh, authentic way. Uh, that I make music, you know. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've learned to do a lot of other things, and I love doing a lot of other things. But, but I'd have to say my roots are really in in you know that simple singer songwriters uh, pop rock in a way, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what that record is about for me. I mm-hmm. uh, I wished uh, I wish I had more time. Uh, when I listen back, there's a, there's a few moments where I'm wincing, you know, and say, oh, I wish I had more time to have you know done worked on the vocals and the guitar stuff because I. I kind of was in a hurry to try to get it finished and a lot going on in my life that year. But, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, 
I still it's it still holds up. It still sounds good to me, and I'm I'm still proud of it. I like I like the tunes mostly, yeah. and and so I mean to me it's mostly about songs. Again, it's uh, it's not a guitar player's record in the in the sense that some some guys you know they they, they make records in order to feature their guitar player. Sure, right, right. Which is it's appropriate and fine for 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 people who who think that way. But I realized that that I don't think that way all that easily <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think much more naturally like uh, of songs with well, there's a guitar solo in the middle or there's guitar parts throughout but you know it's uh mo- most of the way i think is with you know music that has the vocal as the as the, the focus not right. the mm-hmm. guitar as the focus. Mm-hmm. um but i did try to play guitar and i tried to, i tried to you know enjoy that part of it and, and feature it when i could and uh I don't know if that comes through or not, but right. the same guy. Uh, it's a little different, but uh, yeah, it's cool. I, it, I, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. So, yeah, for all of our listeners who are interested in, in uh, getting that album, uh, like so, uh, they, you, you can get, you can get that on iTunes. I know. Is there any place else you yeah, can get on you can, iTunes? Uh, you can actually get the CD itself from uh, CD Baby. Oh, okay, CD That's Baby. Right, yeah, uh, uh, my name's a little tricky to spell. If you're thinking threes, it works a little better. J O N H E R I N G T O N. Correct. And okay. uh, there is a CD Baby page with my name. Big dot com slash John Harrington. On that note, I mean, it's uh, well. You can also visit uh, John and on his MySpace page if you wanted to listen to a few of the of the tracks there. And there's one that, uh, in fact, me and you before the interview, uh, we talked about and that I mentioned was a, a, a neat track called "Beautiful Girl." And uh, I thought I think it's a beautiful little uh, guitar ballad. And tell us a little bit about this uh, this track, and hopefully we'll be able to maybe uh, play uh, an excerpt on it. Fine. Right. Uh, well, it's. It's a uh, it's a bit of a, a response to my love for so many Beatles songs, mm-hmm. um, in a way. Uh, you probably remember John Lennon's "Beautiful Boy." Oh, that's right. Yeah, I uh, I had a daughter, and uh, so I'm not sure. I can't remember the the actual details of the inspiration for it, but I know uh, I was thinking of my daughter. I was thinking of of uh, that tribute song that that John Lennon wrote mm-hmm. uh, called "Beautiful Boy." Uh, I said, well, there ought to be a beautiful girl song, and I, and I said, oh, I guess I'll have to write one. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there are many, but uh, but I, I, but it sounds to me there's there's an, it's actually there's another Beatle tune that it that it reminds me of. I mean, it's in a way the finger picked guitar part is is a little like what's on Julia, you know. Mm-hmm, right. uh, remember that uh, from the White sure. Album? Oh yeah, fantastic song. And uh, but the harmony is a little unusual, and um, what I still like about that tune is is that it has an unusual form it's it's almost got uh i think it has another funny influence and that's bob marley music uh believe it or not it's uh the song form of so many bob marley tunes hmm. it's kind of one time through but uh like it's a long form in a way uh there's something about um you know the great pagoda of fun that big and tune we were just talking mm-hmm. about that, right. that mm-hmm. too it's a very long form i mean there, there are some places where you where you see, okay, here's a new section starting, but sure. but it's not like it's not verse, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, out. You know, it's like it's uh, it has kind of this is one long cycle. You know, it's just like it goes all the way through, and then it goes all the way through, and then it mm-hmm. goes all the way through sure. again. You know, so mm-hmm. and there's something kind of hypnotic about it, and uh, you know, just uh, so, some part of that got in that that song and uh and when i when i sit down to write a song i said well, i wish i could write one like that right. because, yeah. uh, because i don't know where it came from but it's it has an interesting form that way hey well john let's let's take a quick break right now and, and take a listen to a sample of this track that we've been talking about 
Beautiful Girl. Beautiful Girl, a track from the album Like So, from today's guest, John Harrington. Thanks, John, for letting us take a listen to that. Yeah, it was a beautiful tune. Beautiful. Well, Thank you. Well, Like So was your second solo effort, and your first uh, solo effort was a, an album called The Complete Rhyming Dictionary. And uh, I think I saw on your website that um, you may re-release that at some point. Yes, I'm, look, I'm hoping to do that. Uh, um, there's no word about it yet, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping it will happen at some point. Oh, very good. But it, it was a uh, it was a fun record to make, um, and it uh, featured. Um, it was done at a time when I was uh, really into the music of Weather Report, and uh, okay, kind of at the end of a phase of of my uh, interest in uh, playing that kind of stuff. And uh, it uh, features two ex Weather Report guys, uh, Peter Erskine and Victor Bailey. Oh, sure. cool! It's a fantastic rhythm section. Yeah, Jim Beard, Jim Beard, of course, who helped. Yeah. As well, and uh, yeah, it was uh, again. The focus probably is more on the songs or on the on the music than it is uh, on the, featuring the guitar at all costs. But uh, but there's quite a lot of guitar playing on that one. That one I did put the guitar in the in the focus of the mm-hmm. of the music. It, there's no it's not a vocal record, so yeah, uh, right. 
But but that was a lot of work for me. <laughs> it was a stretch yeah, sure. for me. Anyway. <laughs> but I, again, I still like that. Uh, that still holds up for me too. I, I, I'm glad I did that, and uh, it's um, unfortunately not available right now. But uh, but I hope that will change. Yeah. Hey, John, it's the beginning of a new year, and I'm curious to know what uh, 2008 holds for you. Are you going to have uh, more Steely Dan stuff, other projects? Uh, what, what's on the horizon for you? Well, uh, the only thing I've, I've got that's firmly uh, scheduled is uh, in the touring world is uh, some work with Boz Skaggs coming up again. Um, he's, he's got uh, we've got a couple gigs in Las Vegas coming up in February, I think, and there are there's a, a couple weeks in in Japan, uh, middle of March, I think the middle of March is scheduled for that. Yeah. And maybe a couple of California dates after that. I'm not sure about that, but, uh, that's, uh, that's the only, only touring that's on the horizon for sure. <laughs> that's uh, cool. I'm certainly hoping there'll be more studio Dan work and more Donald Fagan work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to tell you the truth, I've been unbelievably relieved to be home and off the road <laughs> for a while because it's, I've, I've had 13 recorded rhythm tracks, uh, for a new record I'm making, uh, waiting for me to to begin to you know work to right, add overdubs sure. uh, yeah. for over a year, and finally in the last uh, month or so, I've been putting in some serious time. So well, good uh, for you. Good it's for starting you. to take shape, and uh, it's really been fun. So, uh, well, those two weeks, uh, those two weeks in Japan with Boss Gags, I think you'll be playing, or Toto's going to be playing. I, uh, I heard that. That's yeah. going to be wild. That's going to be great. Look at there's. Uh, He's a monster. Yeah. And, uh, it'll be fun to, uh, it'll be a little daunting to have to play the breakdown so <laughs> if he is. Right? Well, when you see him, tell him hi for Eddie and Rick. Uh, All right. We know each other pretty well, and I think uh, he knows who we are. He's been a past guest for us. Oh, good. And uh, so. I will uh, say hello. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's hey, ridiculous. Well, well, hey, John, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Music Cast, and good luck this year. And, and hopefully, like we you know, tell everyone, we hope, hopefully, we, down the road, we can catch up with you again and, and touch base and see what's going on. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, John. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Special thanks to John Harrington for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new episode of Inside Music Cast every other week. Be sure to check out InsideMusicCast.com for continuing updates, including our People's Forum, where you can chat about all things music with Inside Music Cast listeners from around the world. That's InsideMusicCast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. 